Tonight we'll be in Colossians chapter 4, concluding our study after about a year or so in Colossians chapter 4. So you can begin, you're probably already there. Colossians 4. Now, I've never studied forensic science, but I've done something that I suppose might even be better. I've read Sherlock Holmes, or watched CSI, or something, something like that. For some reason, I don't know about you, but it makes me, I feel like an expert if I watch like a crime show or read a crime novel, right? Isn't that, isn't that how you feel, right? Whether it's a news, a true news story or documentary or something. But have you ever experienced that sensation of, of being sucked into a case and you're ready to engage in the clues and evaluate the evidence that you've heard? Well, a good detective story has this sort of irresistible ability to just suck us in, right? Like a, like a jigsaw puzzle or a good crossword puzzle. We love to put together clues. And there's this principle in forensic that has been called the Sherlock Holmes principle, right? It goes like this. Every contact leaves a trace, in other words, a criminal, every criminal leaves a trace of him or her behind, right? One forensic expert put it like this. He said, wherever he steps, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously, will serve as a silent witness against him. Not only his fingerprints or his footprints, but his hair, the fibers of his clothes and the glass that he breaks, the paint that he scratches, the blood he deposits or collects, this is evidence that does not forget. Right? We, we, we get this. But the principle does not only apply to forensic science, but also to human interaction, to our, to our relationships. This was a point that was made powerfully in a recent TED talk by a London police officer who said, who said it like this, every time two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place. Whether between lifelong friends or passing strangers, we encourage or we ignore. We hold out a hand or we withdraw it. We walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. And every single contact leaves a trace. The way that we treat and regard one another matters. It really matters. And that's a good picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of, of human relationships and the inescapable fact that we as creatures who have been made in the image of God are relational beings. You can't help it. You may think you're an introvert. You may think you don't like people. But we are relational beings. God has wired us not only with the ability to relate to each other, but think about this. He's given us the ability to be influenced by each other and to influence one another. Tonight, after 36 sermons in this remarkable letter, I was at school last week and I mentioned, we were, it's a preaching thing, and I mentioned that I preached this many sermons in Colossians and they all made fun of me. So I'm sorry, right? Not really, yeah. Um, 
But we're finally coming to the final portion of Colossians. And so far, Paul has done some major, heavy-hitting theological work in this book. And, and we've tried to boil it down to a simple, a simple theological summary statement. We've said it like this. No one and nothing is better than Jesus. There is nothing and there is no one that is better than Jesus. He is the greatest and the most satisfying good in all the universe. And he alone is our hope for salvation. Now in chapter 4 verse 7, Paul is concluding his letter and he does it in a much more lengthy way than he normally does. Romans 16 I think is a longer conclusion, like a a final greeting sort of portion. But the one here in Colossians is, is pretty long. And, and if you, and this is one of the things I love about reading the Bible all the way through in something like CBR or something else, is that you don't get to pick only the parts you like, right? You just read all of it. Some of you are experiencing that. You're like, I don't understand this parable in Luke 16 or whatever, right? I'm with you. Um, but it's interesting because as we come to this text, we might be tempted here in the 21st century. We don't know any of these people, right? It might be tempting for us to fly past these as strange and irrelevant details. But I think there's value for us here. I think there's value in these verses because they show us how important relationships were to Paul. And so before we read the text, because it's going to be, I don't want you to zone out, let me just go ahead and give you the main idea for what I think is the text in the sermon this evening. Paul's final greeting shows us that God does not intend for the Christian life to be lived in isolation, but rather within a local church of rich, strategic Christian relationships. God does not intend for the Christian life to be lived in isolation, but in a local church with rich Christian relationships. Let's read, starting in verse 7. There's lots of uh, funny names here, and I'll just give you a hint. I'm guessing, all right? I shouldn't tell you that. Chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Tychus will tell you about all of my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Anisimus, your faithful, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for all those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness that you've preserved this and 12 other of Paul's letters and that you've given them to us in a book of your words that we can read and understand. And Father, we just confess that we are so guilty of neglecting your word. So often it is not interesting to us. It cannot compete with our favorite sitcom or our comforter. And Lord, we need to hear from you. We even need to hear and understand the message of this passage. So Father, tonight I pray that that this would not be a word from man. For what good is that? I pray that this would be a word from you. So Lord, let my words fall to the ground, blow away and be forgotten. Let your word take root and residence and abide in our hearts so that it would bear fruit. Lord, I pray that lives would be changed through the hearing of your word tonight. I entrust this to Christ and his spirit who can accomplish these things. Amen. Every single person here tonight has a web of relationships, right? And, and, and this is especially true, or particularly true for Christians, for, for we recognize that, as I've said, that God does not only call us out of darkness into isolation. He doesn't just call us out of darkness to live a lone ranger Christian life, but instead he calls us into a community, into a body, a web of relationships, into the community of the saints of light. Just like in marriage, you get some in-laws, right? When you become a Christian, you get a massive family. And some of us are a little bit weird. Have you noticed that, right? Some of you that know me well, you're like, yeah, yeah, right? It's a massive family, and it's, and it's a relationship that runs even deeper than your blood relationships. We have this web of relationships, even for non-Christians, that can take all sorts of forms, right? You may have lots of friends, and they may be deep, or they may be shallow. You have both kinds of friends. I do too. Some may know your struggles, and some most probably don't. Most probably don't know your hurts and your fears. Some of you may be far more cautious than others and and may maintain a carefully selected small group of close, meaningful friendships that you share your life with. But all that shallow stuff you don't have, you don't have time for, right? And some of us, or for some of our relationships, might be somewhere in the middle, or more than acquaintance, but not a close friend. There's all sorts of relationships in your life. You understand that. But I believe that God is calling all of us, no matter where you may fall in the spectrum, no matter how popular or how rich the relationships in your life are, that God is calling all of us to broaden and deepen our web of Christian relationships. God is calling us, each of us, to both broaden and deepen our Christian relationships. That is, if you're a Christian, God's will for you is to become more connected than you are now. Not less. More. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter who you are and what your walk with the Lord is like. God is calling for you to be closer to people. Both in terms of how many people you share your life with and how deeply you share your life with 
people. Paul's farewell, uh, his farewell greeting here, it's interesting they call it a farewell greeting. That's always been amusing to me. But it, it, show, it reveals to us something of his attitude about the Christian life, about Christian relationships. And I'd like to recommend and preach in the authority of God's word that we should imitate these and that we should take note of them. And so let me recommend and show you five characteristics of Christian relationships in this text. And we'll start with the basics and we'll skip all around in this text due to its nature. Characteristic number one, Christian relationships are meaningful. They're very meaningful. A quick reading of this passage reveals that Paul was a deeply relational man. There are lots of people... I counted nine separate individuals, not to mention, I think, three different churches, and then the church that Paul is in, or the location he's in, that are, that are involved here. Paul, I mean, I mean think about it, right? Paul's, Paul's speaking out of deep, meaningful relationships, and it's a farewell, and his other farewells show that Paul was probably not piddling around with, like, Facebook relationships. You know what I mean? I have, like, I don't know. 1,500 friends on Facebook. I don't know how many contacts I have on my phone, but do you ever have this experience on your phone where you're looking through your contacts and you're like, I don't know who that is. How did, how did he get into my phone? I have no idea who this is, but I'm not going to delete him, right? Like, might be somebody I need, right? <laughs> Cleaning up. Anyways, um, Paul probably didn't do that. Paul's relationships were meaningful and had kingdom impact. He saw relationships as inherently meaningful and valuable. Paul saw the Christian life not as an isolated journey, not as a way for him to get to heaven, but as a caravan. It wasn't a solo wilderness experience. It was a caravan where he was recruiting and bringing as many people along as he could. It's a web. And you can see from Paul's rich ministry relationships here. These relationships weren't for show. He genuinely loved others and he allowed himself, this text shows vulnerability, to be loved by others as well. Paul gave of himself. Paul assumes that his circumstances actually mattered to the Colossians. You see, he's got comments about his circumstances in verse 7, in verses 8, and then again in verses 18 about his chains. He's concerned that they understand news, news about his life, things that we might post on Facebook to update the world. And Paul wanted them to know what was going on. It's also interesting to me that it seems like Paul was seeking some sort of comfort from them. He, he, he wanted the Colossians to understand what was going on in his life and to be aware of his suffering. Remember my chains, he says. Paul seems to be hurting. He seems to want them to know and that he finds comfort in that and knowing. We've experienced that. Sometimes just sharing the struggles in your life and having a friend that loves you and listens is a tremendous ministry, isn't it? Well, Paul was doing that to the Colossians. Of course, in verse 11, Paul explicitly mentions how powerful relationships are in speaking of comfort, which brings us to our next point. Christian relationships are powerful. They are powerful. 
In verses 10 and 11, Paul is speaking of the ministry of Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. The guy whose name was Jesus, and he thought, huh, I need to change my name, right? (laughs) Paul is saying, hey, these fellow workers have been a comfort to me. They've been a comfort to him. Have you experienced comfort from a friend? Perhaps from a child, from a spouse, from a parent, maybe even somebody you just met. I think we've all had that blessing. That is a gift from God. We need to pause and consider what a remarkable thing that is. In a world of pains and difficulties, in a world where one can and most likely will get sick and grow poor or be hurt by others, in a world where things go wrong all the time, there's real comfort available. And it comes through people. That's incredible to me. That's a gift from God. If only we were to take a quick glance through the one another commands all throughout the New Testament, we would see that relationships, the way we interact with one another, there's a tremendously powerful exchange that's happening. Just listen to a few, right? God is calling us to be a steward of our conversations and our text messages and our hugs. He says, encourage one another. God says, build one another up. God says, love one another deeply. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. All these things, he doesn't say to do with him. He says, do it with the people sitting on your row. Isn't that interesting? Relationships are powerful. Life happens in conversation. So powerful that Paul, he said, I received genuine comfort from my friends. I think it's incredible that that's even possible. I mean, think about it like this. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples? He promised them that he would give the Holy Spirit. And how did he identify the Holy Spirit? As the comforter. In our relationships, we share in the ministry of God himself. We could spend a whole evening on this. But what an incredible thing to do. To share in the ministry of comfort, which the Spirit has himself. And this comfort can only exist in the context of relationships. Let's just say, if your marriage is falling apart, and you came to me and you asked me for help, and I said, hey, don't worry. Just go to Hallmark, get all the anniversary cards, and read them. You'll be fine. Right? Like, how you... And by the way, that's what, like self-talk basically is, right? It's not that helpful, right? I mean, that would not be that helpful, right? Words of comfort, words of love find their meaning in the context of relationships. So shouldn't we give a tremendous amount of time and effort and energy into our relationships? Yes. Christian relationships are Powerful. We could go a long ways with that point, but we'll leave it there. A third characteristic we see from this text is that Christian relationships are built upon the ministry of greeting. Of greeting. Now let me explain here. Your life has probably never been changed as someone greeted you at Walmart or at the door on Sunday morning. Here's a bulletin. My life has changed. Thank you, right? 
But our lives are changed through the ministry of greeting, and Christian relationships are built upon that ministry. This letter is full of greetings. I couldn't even quite figure out how to count them because there's like greetings. People are being greeted and there's greetings going back and forth and the church is being greeted by Paul's friends who want to greet other churches, right? There's, there's a lot of at least nine, maybe 10 or 11 greetings being exchanged here for a second. Now, now let's just think about that for a minute. I mean, what is, what is a greeting? Like what is, why does that matter? Why is that in the Bible? Should we think about it? Well, believe it or not, I, I think a profound thing is taking place here if we slow down. Because at its most basic level, think of what a greeting does. You exist. It's an acknowledgement that you or someone else exists, that they are a person and that they matter. Now suddenly that takes on context in our world of harsh messages, Right? It's a way of saying, hello, I see you. Maybe the best way to consider the power of greeting is to think about it if it was absent, right? The effect of its absence. Imagine your, cut, your husband coming home from work and failing to greet you, right? That communicates something, doesn't it? I bet you can imagine what it's like when visitors come to our church and from time to time the church staff will hear, I came, I visited, and no one spoke to me. Now that's hard for me to understand, but it happens. And we need to be aware of that. Think about what that communicates. Right? Even if you don't feel deeply loved when someone greets you, Unless you're greeted by Nathan Fowler and it's an, un, an unmistakable hug, right? And you feel loved, right? Nathan Fowler greetings aside, right? You know what it's like when you are not greeted. You can be hurt by the absence of one. And that's because greetings are a real ministry. They're a way of saying, I see you, you exist, and you matter for me. Now, now we as Christians, we recognize that we are all made in the image of God. So, so this should be something that we are like awesome at. Like Nathan Fowler, awesome at. Right? That we, we should be really good at this. Because the ministry of greeting doesn't apply only to like strangers and like Walmart and like, you know, the, the thing, the, the ministry you sign up for at the church where you give people bulletins and say hello. That, that can be, that certainly can be part of it. But it is much more than that. Because clearly, Paul is not greeting strangers here. These are people that, these are relationships that already exist. Think about it like this. All of your relationships are built on the foundation of greeting, of saying, I see you and I care about the details of your life. If you sit down and have coffee with a friend and it's been two weeks since you talked, there are things that happen in your friend's life that if you care about him or her, you will be interested in. That's the ministry of greeting, even with a lifelong friend. Relationships need points of contact to work. We have to rub elbows, which means we need details. No relationship can be maintained, much less flourish, without frequent news. Last week I was out of town for for school, which means that I was separated from my family. And you better believe, I called, I texted, and I FaceTimed every day, right? Because... 
because I can't bear the, I, I can't stand that that distance, even for five days, will cause distance between me and my family. I don't, I don't want that, right? So I wanted to know what they ate, how they slept. Sometimes at this stage of life, I'm like, how did things in the bathroom go? Tell me, give me details, right? Some of y'all get that. Because I, I enjoy rich relationship with my wife and kids, and that is built on the foundation and the ministry of greeting, of asking questions and caring. If the points of contact are dried up, if the news dries up, then what happens to our relationships? They wither. This is what has happened to your long-distance friends that you don't, you're not in contact with anymore, right? You love them just as much, and if you get together again, you have, I mean, things are like back like they were in the 80s. But the relationship has no new context because you have no news. So what do you do? You catch up. You've got four kids. Wow, that's incredible. I've only got three, you know? And you catch up. Relationships are built on greeting. Existing relationships need to be maintained. New relationships have to be established. And this is done through the ministry of greeting. Questions like, how are you? Where are you from? How's your mom doing? How'd your appointment go today? Did you get that thing with your car, your car fixed? What'd you read in the Word? All of those are, are, they all have the same effect in that they allow you to build on details in the relationship. I have a life, I have cares, I have concerns, but right now I'm saying I care about you. That's what greetings do. Questions. The nature of greeting is taking interest in another person, whether it's in big ways, right? What'd you read in the Word? Or in small ways. Hey, good morning. You see? Now, friends, just, this means you have to ask questions. And it means you need to listen. Have you ever tried to get to know someone who did not care anything about you? <laughs> I'm a pastor. This happens to me all the time. <laughs> right? Uh, recently, once on my... Well, my wife and I experienced this. What's a good example? Uh, we had some folks over to our house in our neighborhood, and we were we were trying to we we're trying to talk with them, and and it's like Nathan and Haley like interview session, right? Like we're trying to we're trying to get to know them and say we care about them, but they don't care about anything in our lives. Like they don't ask us any questions at all, and they just talk about their lives, and that's great. And we ask them all sorts of things, and they're like, "All right, thanks for having us over," and they leave. And Haley and I looked at each other. We we're like, "Man, I'm so tired." And my wife said, they didn't ask a single question about us. And it hit me. Yeah, that's right. They didn't, like, I don't expect them to, like, love me. But, like, they didn't care about us at all. Right? They just wanted to talk about themselves. Have you ever had that dynamic? Right? That's the opposite of the ministry of greeting. The ministry of greeting is rooted in taking interest in others. So you're using the question, how are you not... I am whatever. Greetings alone don't form relationships, but no relationship is formed without the ministry of greeting. And they are needed to exist and flourish. But as we're thinking about Christian relationships, let's move on from the kind of more general to the more specific. I don't get to talk, I don't get to preach on greeting much, so when I have a chance, I might as well, right? A fourth principle about relationships is this. The primary context, the primary context for your Christian relationships is going to be in the local church. 
Christian relationships are lived out in the local church. Now, we're going to build on this in a variety of ways, but I want to start in the text and try to draw your attention to the fact that in this text, we see that separate churches exist. Separate local church bodies exist. Colossians is written to a group of Christians at Colossae, right? And that means that Paul's recognizing, okay, there is a group of Christians, they are organized, they presumably have leaders like pastors, and they gather together for worship and preaching or Bible of, of scripture and for the Lord's Supper and for baptism, right? The ordinances. So Paul's recognizing the, this is a group of people who share the Christian life together in a particular place. That's called a church, right? Paul is addressing Christians in the context of that local church. There's no place in the Bible where it makes sense at all for there to be a Christian outside of a church. doesn't even make sense. You're baptized into a body. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in the New Testament. Paul, so he greets the church at Laodicea separately. And then he recognizes, hey, there's another church at Nympha's house. We had a church in my house once. Put a big hole in the wall. All right, the nursery is in my study. I went upstairs. I'm like, huh, there's a big hole in the wall. How'd that get there? Anyways, church in the house. I'm thankful for a real church building. But we know that the church is the people. Relationships are in the context of local churches. Epaphras is struggling in his prayers, not for every Christian in the world, but for Christians specifically living in Colossae. Do you see that? Now, it might seem obvious, but let's just think about it for a second. Christians are bound by space and time. All of us are, right? I don't have a good relationship with, uh, with Daniel, like Daniel in the lion's den, right? We, we don't overlap very much. Uh, we, don't, we don't talk, <laughs> right? I have a totally different relationship with you because our lives overlap. And therefore, we experience the manifestation of the church, right? The big, global, universal church. We experience that where? Here, in the context of a local church. This is why the Laodiceans were distinct from the Colossians. It's why Paul had to write a letter and to give and to receive news back and forth, right? Because he was separated. It's why Paul's fellow workers were a comfort to him and not Daniel or Abraham or whoever, right? We are bound by space and time. We are limited. You cannot have a relationship with every one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder if that's one of the reasons heaven is eternal. Because you have a lot of brothers and sisters to know and enjoy and to love. That's a cool thought. Think about that one as you're going to bed. We're bound by space and time. Which means that God intends for you, Christian, to live the Christian life in a local body, a local place, a local church. Now why does this matter? Well, I believe that this is the foundation for why God intends for every Christian to be a committed, meaningful member of a local body of believers. A place where you can have actual pastors who actually have authority over you and, and people who actually know you. Right? This is why it is so cool in the South to like, you see this all the time. Um, people are at a church and then something relationally happens. So what do they do? I'll go to the next church. They got a cooler sanctuary anyway, right? And then what do you think happens there? Months, years go by, a few little relationship things, the tingles, and what do they do? I'll go to the next church, right? God intends for us to be stable, to, to plant ourselves, to live the Christian life out. 
I realize you might like Charles Stanley's preaching better than mine. I get that, right? You might like the church down the road's Awana ministry or their lacrosse ministry. You might like the church that shows up, they got people in the parking lot, you open the door, it's like, bam, latte, welcome to church. We've come to have a worship experience, right? You might, you might like that kind of thing, but, but guess what? God has called you to have and to love neighbors, like actual people with names and faces. It is so easy for me to love people I've never met. You know what I mean? Like they don't ever get on my nerves. Have you noticed that? But you guys, oh, it's so different, right? Like actual people, you know? The clear assumption of the scriptures is that you cannot live out the Christian life. You can't, there's so many New Testament commands that you cannot fulfill if you're not in a local church. And I mean committed. And we do that through membership. It's a way to recognize I'm, com- I, I'm on board here, I'm submitting here, I'm serving here, I'm giving here, I, 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 I'm here, right? That's what's happening. It's a place where they can be known and loved and cared for, right? You're not called to submit to every pastor. Just think about that. There's a lot of pastors out there. Like, which, one do I, which one do I pick? What if they say a different thing? Right, God has called you under the authority of some pastors and into some relationships. You're not called to have some vague attitude of love towards all humanity, right? You're called to love your neighbor, the person in proximity with you, right? You can reach out and touch. That is in most of the time in the local church. So I'll say it again, the primary context for Christian relationships is in the context of a local body of believers who submit to pastors, who gather to hear the word preached, who take the Lord's Supper together, and who make decisions together on how to spend money and how to reach the lost. We do that together. The important thing is not that you commit to the best church or to, it's rather that you pick a faithful church and that you plug in there. And you serve there for the long haul. That is the only way that your relationships can grow thick and deep and meaningful. It doesn't mean that you only have relationships in the church. But I believe it means that our primary relationships should be in the church. I have close friends that attend another church and they were talking about it. I said, hey, just so you know, our life will not overlap as much. Because we're committed to our local church. And that'd be true whether or not we're employees, right? The New Testament assumes the primary context for the relationships of the Christian life are in your local church. So you need to dig in. You need to get involved. You need to give and serve and know and be known. You need to be present. Maybe another way to to get at this is to say that we, we need to seek out strategic ministry relationships, all right? The letter here is dripping with these. Paul's clearly established and maintained great commission relationships. Right? He's got all these fellow workers. And he's engaging in long-distance great commission ministry relationships. Both he and Epaphras were clearly invested in the spiritual well-being of others. They were committed to praying and teaching. And they, they wanted to use their influence to help other people grow. They wanted to speak to them and change them. Right? That's not a gift. That's not unique to apostles or to, or to pastors. That is the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter 4, which all of us are called to do. 
I'm not talking about just cooperating with church activities, right? Like, that's great. But rather that we are called to help others grow. Upward. Upward is a program as it by itself does not fulfill the Great Commission. It needs people who get in and engage and serve and share the gospel. That's the only way it works. Equip classes by themselves do not fulfill the Great Commission unless there are people speaking and seeking to influence others to know God, to obey his commands, and to be baptized and follow Christ. We come together and cooperate as a church so that we can do things together that we couldn't do individually. And Paul clearly gathered strategic men around him who were faithful and who could carry out the work of the ministry. And they were trying to influence others. We see an example of this in verse 17. Paul is, is speaking about, he's speaking in his ministry to this pastor, Aricopus, Archippus. Pick, you pick. I don't know. And Paul's using his relationship and his words to do what? He wants to influence him. He wants to admonish this man to be faithful as a pastor. Clearly, he has some sort of relationship on, you know, with this guy. Maybe it was just built on greetings, like basic ones. But now he can speak boldly into him and perhaps make him more like Christ. Fulfill the work of your ministry. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced a word from someone in this room that made you more like Jesus? Man, I have. I'm looking at you. Like, all the time. I, cannot, I, I thought about going through my text messages today and counting up how many admonished me to be more like Christ. There were at least 50. <laughs> I get a lot of text. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's awesome. That's what God intends for his people. Friends, we are to use our relationships, especially our relationships within the local church, to influence other people for God. Like, have an agenda. I've got one for you. You should have one for those around you. Now quickly, uh, on this matter of local church, you'll notice a couple other things briefly, is that we all have this common need for the word of God. In verse 16, Paul is instructing the church, hey, make sure that Laodicea gets the letter as well, right? We all need God's word. God's people everywhere need God's word. And this is one of the primary marks that distinguishes a local church. We gather together to hear God's word. We gather on a Sunday. We hear, we hear Mark preach the word of God. And something different happens. I believe something different happens when, when we gather together and we hear our pastor preach. Something, is different, something different is happening than when I get in my car and listen to John Piper preach on, off my iPhone. Because God has given us specific pastors to speak into our specific context. Something different happens. Sure, you can be blessed by other pastors and other... Man, go listen. Other people's sermons have changed my life, right? But something different happens in this context. In both cases, God's word is incredible and has power. But in the local church, we're receiving God's word together and something more is happening. We're being admonished together. We're being called to live out God's word together. Our local church is an assembly of strategic missional relationships where we hear the word and know one another and then seek to influence the world for Christ. Qu quickly, you also notice this is in, we're to be an open community, right? Verse 10, Paul says, welcome Barnabas if he comes. Welcome them, right? Our, our local churches, they're gospel communities, not a club. 
We should not be organized by anything other than Christ. So we don't need a cowboy church. We don't need a Harley Davidson church or a drive-in church. I don't think we need to be a church that centers around a certain kind of music or certain style. We need to be a people who get, the world does that, right? Like, do you know that you can join like a puzzling club? Like, Like you can, like if you go online, you can find anything, right? Where you find people that are just like you, that's easy. But we center around Christ, which means anyone who follows Christ is welcome. We're drawn together, not by a charismatic leader, not by a beautiful worship center, but by the person of Christ. Which means, man, the doors are wide open for others to join. And we're a safe place for non-Christians. Finally, one final point. Christian relationships are created and sustained by the gospel. By the gospel. If you've been alive for more than a minute, you know that relationships can be draining and exhausting. There might be someone here taking a class called Relationships a Mess Worth Making, right? Uh, And you might have already discussed that you're likely to hit the wall of the reality of relationships in the fallen world, right? Have you ever had that time where something just comes crumbling down on you? Loving spouses, friends, children, especially over the long term, is hard. It's draining. You'll get burned. Where do we find the resources? Especially if we're to love more people and to love them more broadly. How do we do that? It seems Paul knew this secret. This greeting, this final greeting shows Paul has this tremendous capacity. Tremendous capacity to greet and care for people. Even people he hadn't met right? How could Paul and how could his associates be so spiritually and emotionally healthy and invested in local churches at Colossae and Laodicea and and this house church, right? How could they, how could they do that? I mean, it's clear that they care deeply. I mean, you see this more than anywhere in verse 12 and Epaphras is just agonizing prayer for spiritual growth. I mean, who are you agonizing for that they would grow? Epaphras did this for a church he wasn't even in. I think he probably planted it. How in the world do we have this capacity to care this much and to love so sacrificially? Well, the answer is simple. It's found in the gospel. We can put it like this. Those who have been loved deeply, love deeply. Those who have been loved deeply, love deeply. Friends, the more you... Many of you have experienced this. The more you experience the gospel, the more you come to marvel that even though you, a sinner, even even though you're the worst sinner you know, that Christ has died for you and that he has loved you and that even as you struggle, he still loves you yet. When you come to realize that, That he lived the life you have not lived, that you're struggling to live now, and that he died in your place, and that he rose to secure a relationship with you. When you realize that that you can be united to him in all of his blessings and privileges by faith, and that you can be brought into a family, dysfunctional now, but it's going to be awesome soon, right? An amazing family, rich with an inheritance that you'll enjoy with all the saints forever. The more that that grips you, the more that that like gets you going in the morning, the more that you will yearn for the people around you to know and experience that same joy. 
that will motivate you to love difficult people. The more you will want your fellow Christians to experience the same glories of the gospel. You'll realize that the greatest gift that you can actually give them is not just a word that makes them feel okay. Right? A bulk of our conversations are just saying things so that people like you and that they think you like them. And then you'll, instead, you'll, be real, you'll realize, I want to say things that help them eternally, even if they don't like it at first. The greatest gift you can give your fellow Christians is the gospel. Help them apply it and know it and remember it. That will motivate you to invest in relationships. That will sustain you when people hurt you. That will sustain you in a hard marriage. But remember, if you've been loved deeply by Christ, because of that, you can love others deeply. But it all begins with the gospel. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, produce a thousand applications from these words, that anything that's unclear would be made clear, and that you would help us to move towards one another by faith recognizing that you've done this for us, even when we were your enemies. Thank you for that. I want to thank you for the people in this room and the people that are a part of this church. Help us to love one another that your light might shine to the world. We ask this in your name. Amen.